Hello and welcome back to CKX Questions. In this episode, we pick up where we left off in our conversation with Aslam on building decolonial solidarity from episode one. In this episode, we discuss the importance of self-care, how to shift systems from within, the distinctions between reconciliation and decolonization efforts, intergenerational learning, and the importance of accountability in this work. In light of this growing recognition of our shared humanity and of this common purpose or common hope or vision of shared liberation, how do you hold that hope while continuing to be in in these spaces that we in many ways are forced to be in? How does that look and how can we push against the system while also still needing to be in some ways a part of that system? I think this is, again, why solidarity and friendship is so important, Mm. so that we can support one another in that journey. Uh, There's a facilitator here in Vancouver, Vanessa Richards, who does this wonderful activity where we stand in a circle and we sing a note together. And there comes a time when you need to take a breath. So you listen to your neighbors and you make sure that they're not taking a breath at the same time that you are but their carrying the note allows you to take a breath. Mm. And it's a metaphor for the fact that we're all working on the same thing. And part of working together means that we can rest, we can recharge, we can find time for Mm. ourselves so that we can re-enter that collective project together. Mm. But if we're trying to do it by ourselves, eventually we're going to burn out. That's the one, the one part of it. And the other part of it is for me, like the spiritual part of it, that like my ultimate goal might be different in some ways for people who don't have a spiritual framework, because my ultimate goal is to please my creator Mm. and to please my creator is not necessarily to bring down cis hetero patriarchal capitalist colonialism Mm. because it took hundreds of years for that to be established and it's going to take hundreds of years for it to be dismantled Mm. but i just need to be accountable for my my part of that journey my part of that struggle my part of that process um because that's what i will be asked about Mm. Uh, and that's very much dependent on like what is my capacity what are the privileges that i've been given in order to further that little piece along the long road. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's some of the the elements of it. Um, yeah, I think there's also something else around the fact that, um, you know, like that, that hope and like carrying on day to day and and this is a quote about like you know just your existence is an act of resistance Mm. so you're you know trying to just be who you are in a system that that works to kind of silence parts of yourself like just that is is such a tremendous act um and and trying to remember and find ways and find spaces where you can just be who you are uh, has so much value Mm. that is so often taken for granted. Um, And, you know, and solidarity also means like accepting the different approaches that we have and strategies that we might employ. So some people want to work within the system to change it. And I'm happy to like help and support you in that. And some people need to be on the outside of the system and challenge it very critically. Mm-hmm. And I want to help and support that as well. And I think that, you know, the 
the project is big enough for all of us to work in different ways Mm -hmm. and quite often we end up kind of like pointing at the other and saying like oh why aren't you working in the way that i am working or why don't you (laughs) uh, why don't you resist in the same way that i'm resisting Mm -hmm. um but you know it the system was created with multiple different entry points and similarly needs to be dismantled or uh, realigned from multiple different entry points as well Mm. yeah i know that that's such a great point because i think Otherwise, you run the risk of simply replacing one dominant system with another. Yeah. That there's a somehow one-size-fits-all approach to, to this work or to, the, or to our futures. I just wanted to loop back, actually, to, to one of your earlier points, which is around holding that space. You mentioned the work of Vanessa Richards of holding that note together and having that, that opportunity to breathe. If we can maybe just reflect for a moment upon the importance of self-care in this work and that in, in itself being a, a decolonized practice because we're not in a system that necessarily prioritizes that. How do you see self-care as being a part of this work and maybe what are some of your ways of, of holding that space for yourself amidst, amidst this work? I'll admit that I'm not the best at this. <laughs> like, I can say the right things, but I also find it difficult to embody at times, and it's something that I'm working on. I think, I, and, and I think there's also like a commercialization of self care that has taken place over the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's all about the bath bombs and the candles. But self care for me is a lot about community, and that's just how I was brought up and how mm-hmm. I respond to it. So for me, self care is like meeting you for a cup of coffee and just like chatting about my day or going for a walk or praying five times a day and trying to like remain true to my spiritual tradition Mm -hmm. reading the quran reflecting on that Um, a lot of it is just like not being productive in the capitalist sense Mm. i think that's what self-care looks like to me (laughs) any moment where i'm not like oh what's my deliverable how many hours am i spending on this and how could i better be spending it any time that i'm not in that loop of Mm. trying to fit in and trying to silence part of myself and trying to do 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 uh and times when i can just be i think that's for me like very recharging Mm -hmm. um yeah and, and I think also, like, I get very invigorated by speaking to people about this and by by kind of growing the size of those that are in solidarity. Mm. And I think quite often we we tend to silence and ostracize people who don't fit into one of the, like, you know, marginalized identity categories, right? Mm. So if you're a white man, I want to speak to you and help you to realize that, like, your liberation, you will have a better life. Mm. Uh, as the result of this vision that I'm pushing for Mm -hmm. because at the moment a lot of men around the world are are struggling with uh, suicide with mental health problems because of the tremendous pressure that's put on them um, because of the system that we live in Uh, this striving for perfection the striving to produce the striving to hold the weight of the world on your shoulders and never show any vulnerability Um, but a decolonized world is one where uh, we allow emotion in, we allow our vulnerability in, uh, and white men have as much to gain from this as everybody else does. Mm. Uh, and, and so often it's seen as like, oh, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves against the dominant and some people tend to embody that dominance. So then we, we put ourselves against them. Um, but actually the, like I said, that, like that struggle is big enough for all of us and we all have a role to play in it. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit of a strange like self-care method for me is like speaking to white men or yeah. <laughs> men in general or people that hold power and like w- trying to meet them where they're at and walking alongside them to 
to help them to enter this conversation and realize this is a conversation for all of us and a struggle mm. that we can all be in together. For those who maybe are in, in one of those more dominant spaces or, or do hold a certain amount of privilege in society, what could solidarity look like for them? What would it look like for them to begin to enter into this space? I think a lot of it is like just connecting with yourself. Mm. So for me, that's actually been um, the more difficult part of this journey. I think that like the the greater systemic understanding of inequality has been quite simple to do, right? Like you go to a lecture, you read a couple of books, maybe you're tuning into a podcast, but the what some people call the inner work in Islamic terms, we'd call it the, the greater jihad, the jihad of the nafs, um, mm. the, the, the work of the ego. Mm. That's been the, the, the significantly more difficult work because we're so pre-programmed to think that I should be centered in the household. Right? In my personal relationship with my partner, who's female, um, she was raised in this way that says that she should always be giving up her rights or her priorities, her needs, in order to serve the leader of the home, who's the man. And mm. men have subconsciously just infused this idea that I'm the leader of the home or my needs need to be centered. Uh, and this is both of us coming from very progressive homes, mm. but the societal messaging is so strong around that. Uh, so for me to kind of like deprogram myself from those um, patterns of behavior and patterns of thinking and understanding has been really difficult. And I can see how, you know, white men, white people in general would struggle with this as well. But that struggle is so important and mm. that struggle is the work. And even if all you're doing is that struggling of trying to think about how am I decentering myself in this conversation? How am I decentering my experiences? How am I creating opportunities for others? How am I just being unsettled and like feeling uncomfortable and feeling like I don't know some things mm. um, like that's, that's so important. And that has like so much potential for change. Mm such an important piece of that is just for all of us to be checking in with ourselves mm. and to be recognizing the ways in which this dominance, this colonial uh, perspective is showing up in ourselves and, and in our lives. How do you see that work potentially either differing or complementing the work of reconciliation? Because I think for a lot of folks, they're just beginning to deepen their awareness and understanding of, of reconciliation as a concept and as a way of being. And then when decolonization is introduced, how do you hold those? Are there distinctions there? How do they complement each other? What does that sort of look like? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting coming from South Africa because we had our own truth and reconciliation process. Mm -hmm. After 1994, um, the government said, you know, let's have this TRC hearing and everybody can speak to what happened during apartheid uh, and amnesty will be granted for those who come forward. Um, and I get to see the impact of that 20 years later. Mm. So amongst my peer group, a lot of young people in South Africa are saying, you know, that what was the TRC for? You know, we forgave so many people for these like really violent, heinous crimes. Um, but when we look around the majority white society today, um, behavior hasn't changed, mm. uh, power hasn't shifted, economic power hasn't shifted. Um, so w what was the point of that exercise? Mm. Was it, and, and who drove it and who set the terms for it? Mm -hmm. So was it something just for 
white people to feel better about themselves that okay you know we we said these nice words we all cried together and now we can move on uh, without actually engaging in that inner work without engaging mm-hmm. with uh, the broader systems and structures that created these dynamics um, and I, I suspect that I I see a similar thing happening in Canada where people will speak about reconciliation uh, as something to make them feel like, okay, we recognize that things that were done in the past were wrong, but let's move on. Mm. Instead Mm. of uh, like, things were wrong, why were they wrong? What created that situation? How do we change those structures that were born out of that so that we can actually move on mm-hmm. instead of just like putting a, a fresh coat of paint and sending it out, but actually like the deeper problems are still yeah. buried on the inside. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's such an important piece. And I think it goes to your earlier point, which is recognizing, I think in both ways, both in in terms of reconciliation and how that has come to manifest in Canada uh, and, and decolonization now as well is, is its relationship to, or its perception of the state and, and how, you know, for myself, when I see what is now being seen as reconciliation in this country, it is largely as a state driven or state led initiative. And it has become a very symbolic, tokenistic space as a result, because it is uh, very much, as, as you were saying, it has become a way of, in, in many ways, of maintaining the status quo with enough accommodation that people feel as though we are somehow moving towards something. But, but when actually the power and, and the ways in which that has come to be across our social, economic, political systems has, remains unchanged. So I think for me, that's where holding these spaces for conversations around decolonization is so important because it gets to a deeper shift, I feel, than than what we're currently seeing with reconciliation. Yeah. And I think for so many people, it's so difficult to even realize, like, what could that shift be? Yeah. Because we've yeah. never, like, for, for so many of us, um, you know, we've never even seen the potential for what that could look like Mm. and for me it it actually came from like a short anecdote when I met someone who was doing traditional Islamic studies uh, in Yemen and he was back in South Africa and I went to go visit him with a friend uh, and I asked him you know like how many years do you have left in your studies and he said no that's not how it works Mm. because according to the whole worldview and how education systems were operating in that tradition, uh, only when you had knowledge of this text, when you were able to teach it to someone else and your teacher said that your heart was free from any pride associated with knowing something that other people don't know, then you were ready to move on to something else. Mm. And at that time I was in university and like trying to get 50% on an essay and then I pass and move on to the next thing. Mm. The whole worldview was different. Mm. And I, I think very few people have actually encountered an experience like what could an alternative look like. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to imagine and dream of a difference when this is all that they've been exposed to. Mm. And that's why I think like engaging with difference in like a very deep way, mm. uh, understanding how uh, different conceptions of the world around us, how it's constituted, what we take for granted as, um, you know, the norm or Western science as like the, the starting point for discussion. And we actually allow ourselves to question a little bit deeper and say like, what's underpinning some of those assumptions, then we can imagine something different. And Mm. then we can imagine a, a, a future that's, um, you know, more inclusive, more liberatory for all of us. And I think, 
as we're trying to grapple with that, I think a, a big piece of that work is also, you know, as you mentioned earlier, being in relationship with each other, but I think also being in relationship across generations, because I think then we're able to see opportunities emerging. There's a way of getting a clearer sense of, of where we've been and what's being attempted and, and what is resonating for different people. How has your experience been with building decolon- decolonial solidarity across generations? Yeah, I think it's been really difficult for me. I think that, uh, you know, yes, I was with some friends and we were talking about how university is great for building social relationships. And I said, yeah, it's great if you're looking to meet people your age from a similar income background and all the rest. But actually, the structure is set up, our whole like education system is set up, that we don't have a lot of opportunity for intergenerational relationship building. Mm. Um, so for me, I think it's been in social spaces. I was lucky that I grew up in a country where we get together a lot for meals, for celebrations, for funerals. That's allowed me to build some relationship across generations. But I think for majority of people growing up over here, um, it's basically your grandparents that you might get in contact with. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're not encouraged in our work, in our play, in our relationship to actually connect across generation. Um, but when we do, and I see it a lot with uh, some of the, the nations over here in BC, because, you know, we're only like two or three generations from you know decolonial practice Mm. whereas for like indian decolonial practice i don't even know how far back i would have to go or where i would be able to go back to Mm. to connect with that source uh luckily within the islamic tradition there's a lot more written account and i can connect with that a little bit easier um but i see indigenous people here connected with elders and it's like it's a transformational relationship Mm. um the advice that they're given the wisdom that's passed on it, it just feels like it resonates in a completely different way. Um, mm. And I think all of us need, like, have that deep yearning. And I think if you don't have relationship with people across generation, like, there, there are some projects that I'm aware of in the city that are trying to connect people across generation, but mm. there could be a lot more. And again, it's that, that individual responsibility. Like, if we've got you know, half an hour on a Sunday, what are we spending it doing? Are we mm. like catching up on another Netflix show? Yes. <laughs> or, or are we like trying to seek out a relationship and have a coffee with someone? Yeah. yeah. And and I know in terms of holding space for at least some of the intergenerational dialogue, which hopefully then leads to relationship, you're holding space for that across the fellowships that you're you're currently holding. Yeah, I feel like I, 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 could, be, I could be doing a better job of that. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, and it's something that I need to keep working on as well, mm. right? And I think this is why there's a, there's a great amount of humility involved in this work. Yes, you're yes. like, oh man, there's so much more that I <laughs> yes, could be doing yes. and I need to be doing. But, you know, in regards to those fellowships, how how is that experience being for you? Because I know conversations around decolonial practices, as well as sort of how that space is being held across the two fellowships that you're currently a part of, you're, you're looking to weave that in. How is that going and what is the response being from some of the fellows in terms of, uh, particularly for those that you know, might be new to these, to these conversations? Yeah, I, I think the Radius Fellowship is interesting because it, it has always been kind of like had this reputation of being for change leaders in the city. Mm. Um, and I think when w- I just took over and I'm co-facilitating that fellowship now with a, a wonderful co-facilitator, Yannicka Nyberg, the two of us came in and said, like, if you want to call yourself a change leader, if you see yourself as a change leader and you're not engaged with a 
with decolonization, do you actually have like any legitimacy in that claim? Because that work is so central to the change that we need to see in the world today. Mm. And that's been our starting point for the most part. Um, with the Muslim Community Fellowship, I think that for the most part, people have so much deep lived experience with colonization mm. that actually the tension has been more to hold space for different approaches and strategies into how does that show up. Mm. So some people are like extremely resistant to the idea of working within institutions, um, working with dominant identity groups, because in their own experiences, they just need spaces of safety and they need space of comfort where they don't have to be defending their, their right to exist, which mm -hmm. unfortunately has been a lot of their experience growing up in the city. Um, however, there are others who are, you know, haven't been uh, on the defensive so much in their lives, maybe because they've moved here from other countries or maybe because of different uh, privileges that they hold, being male, etc., um, that they can engage with dominant identities in a different way. So to hold space for that tension that we mm. spoke about earlier between like different strategies on how to decolonize um, has been a challenge. And I think it's something that I'm looking forward to working on more with the fellows so that we can understand that you know, there are multiple ways to enter into this conversation. And um, the more we like argue about which way is the best, mm. uh, the less time we have to actually do the work that yes. we're trying to do. Yes. yes. The piece around change maker, I think, is a really important one, because I think what something at least I'm holding right now is self-identified progressive identities. Right. And, and the that fact Vancouver that Vancouver is famous. Uh, for. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I think for me, a, a huge piece of, of this work is, is also that accountability mm. and that it's not merely enough to attach a label to yourself, to our earlier conversation around allyship, identifying as a change maker and therefore taking on all of those good traits or feelings that are, are associated with that, that term, but that we need to be accountable to each other and we need to hold each other to a higher standard, lift each other up, of course, but then also to ensure that we are not just speaking the rhetoric but actually mm -hmm. starting to live those values and those practices does that resonate for you and how around the importance of account accountability within within this work yeah and and i think it, it for me it, it almost it's a step before accountability is like when your identity and the messaging that you've received throughout your life um, and particularly as you get older is someone who is like quote unquote woke or someone who is progressive, or someone who does the right things and is a good person. When people challenge you on that, there's like a, a very deep sense of like, oh, but this is who I am. And if you're mm. challenging me on that, you're challenging who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a lot of defensiveness that comes up around that. And I, I still don't know, how do we help people realize that like, it's okay not to know something mm -hmm. you don't have to have this arrogance about like i am the most woke person i do all the right things i am a good guy yes um but the the, the kind of like the system is set up to to have you identify yourself in that way so that you perform well in this like mm -hmm. system whether it's a non-profit world or a social change world or whatever it is um but to be able to sit with yourself and say it's okay for me to not know something it's okay mm. for me to be corrected on something it's okay for me to be held accountable on something without becoming defensive about it and that i think is like the, the more difficult part i think once people are open to accepting feedback then 
the, the feedback and the accountability happens. Mm. I think it's that initial step that I, I see a lot of like progressives struggling with in the city. Mm. And maybe just building on that so we can weave in uh, another question from the group, which is um, for those working within the system, uh, any, any advice or recommendations <laughs> that you might have for those that are, that are really trying to, um, you know, be open to feedback to while challenging the system while being a part of the system what what would you recommend in terms of those that are are working deeply within within an entrenched system yeah I, I think the first is like I, I was lucky to work with some people at the city of Vancouver who I consider like very deep in their solidarity work Mm. um but i also recognize that the short time that i spent there like it is not the space for me Mm. so it's so important to recognize when you are in a position within a system is it eating you up or are you making a change Mm. and depending on so many things how grounded you are your experience the positional power you have within that system how high up are you in the hierarchy at what point can you challenge ideas and at what point are you being shut down you need to like and and in some ways you can just feel that in your body right Mm. like if you're like every weekend like just like craving you know regeneration recuperation before you like go to war the next week if if that's the feeling that you have i feel like it might be a a a good move to step aside or to step back and find a space that you feel like you can be doing sustainable work in Mm. quite often we enter into these systems like i'm going to change the system from the inside but the system ends up changing you uh, or it, it, it harms your body, it harms your heart, it harms your, your head and, and everything else. Um, so the one is like, should you even be in that system? Mm. If you feel like you, you know, you're well resourced enough to be in that system without it taking a physical toll on you, then I think a lot of it is about strategy relationships. Okay, so if I'm trying to push for something on the inside, who do I know on the inside that's going to support me? Who do I know that's on the outside that's going to support me? Who do I have on the outside that's going to be keeping me in check? Who do I have on the inside that's going to be keeping me in check? Mm. So there's a lot of different factors that you need to consider in doing that, like uh, entrepreneurship, they call it, like that work of changing mm. from the inside. Um, and it's not for everyone. And I think like if you're not having an easy time in that space, don't be surprised. Like it's not a failure on you. There are huge systemic things trying to hold you back. Um, and take every and take and celebrate any little win that you get, mm. because that's how the systems are going to change through like a lot of very small actions done over a long period of time with consistency. But if you're trying to like change everything all at once and it's gonna it's eating you up and it's spitting you out and you're not feeling fulfilled and and safe. Um, like there's no harm in stepping back or stepping aside or, mm. or finding a different time and place to engage um, when, when the, the, the system itself is more ready to receive uh, what you're able to offer. Mm. And, and what would you say to those that feel as though them being in a system, uh, particularly one that is uh, one that does need to shift or change, that them being in that system is actually helping to perpetuate or give legitimacy to that system? Um, you know how how do you how does one hold that tension point yeah I think it's it's difficult I think Mm. that's one of the like more challenging things to know is like whether or not you're actually making a difference Mm -hmm. or whether you're the one who's like adding legitimacy or um, allowing the system to perpetuate 
Uh, and in some ways I find like that's the most difficult role to play because you always feel like you're letting someone down. Um, I think you and I have spoken about this, like either you're, you're pushing too much and then the, the system is shutting your ideas down or you're not pushing hard enough and people on the outside are calling you out mm-hmm. on it and you feel like you're never winning. Um, and it's a very difficult path to walk. Um, and it's something that I think when you're, when you're, I guess, like doing a good job of it, um, it's, it's in like small moments where you're like, okay, today I felt balanced. Today I felt good. Today I felt like I was walking that path well. Mm. Um, but it's, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm basically just like, good luck. If you need to chat about that, like let's, let's find time to chat yes. and connect. <laughs> and I think there was a question earlier about like, what are we hopeful for? And I think having some dreams, some visions of the future is helpful in like maintaining your work and showing Mm. you different strategies and different options. So when I first moved over here, uh, I think I heard the land acknowledgement and I was like, oh, it's amazing that this is being done. And then I heard Savan Kala Suzuki speaking and uh, she spoke about like indigenous sovereignty and energy sovereignty. And in my mind, I could imagine my children growing up in a world where they might be able to choose something different from the system of, you know, Vancouver, city of mm. Vancouver, capital C, capital V, um, with, you know, very capitalist driven, very like Eurocentric in its thinking and its structures and its foundations to maybe my children might be able to um, go to Squamish, go to Tsleil-Waututh, go to Musqueam and say, you know, might I live on your land? How, how might I live in your land in a good way? Um, how do I serve and live according to your governance structures and rules mm. as opposed to, you know, the default that, I, that my parents had to live in or my, their parents had to mm. live in. So actually dreaming of a future where there are multiple ways and forms of being at a higher community level, I think that gives me hope mm. that, you know, a generation from now or two generations from now, it doesn't have to only be this way, mm. that there are alternatives out there. And I think then when I think strategy, I think about, okay, so in my life, do I want to start supporting those alternatives in their growth and development uh, with the permission of those nations or whoever it is that's trying to create that alternative? Or do I work on the, the structure that exists at the moment and trying to change it from the inside, trying to reduce the amount of power and influence that it has, trying to bring more humility to that system for that system to recognize um, the other ways of being that are equally legitimate and might mm. offer more opportunity for liberation. Mm. I just I, I love that that vision you just painted, I think, of, of the future generations. I think it's it's so powerful to think that, you know, that that is where we're going mm. and that's what's possible. I could keep chatting with you for hours on, on these on these topics, but perhaps we can for today we can we can leave leave the conversation there. I think on that that beautiful uh, vision for for what's mm. possible. To my dear friend, thank you, thank uh, you. so much gratitude for for this <laughs> and uh, yeah, just thank you for for making the time and space and for sharing uh, your wealth of wisdom and, and perspectives on this. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you again to Aslam for holding time and space for this conversation. And thank you to all of you for joining us for the second episode of CKX Questions. Please join us on Twitter with the hashtag CKXQuestions or send us a note at questions at CKX.org. Mm-hmm.